With no limitations, what does your perfect day look like? What if it's possible to live like that every day? Would you wake up after 9am, have perfect health, maybe fire your boss, have the money and freedom to do what you love most? The world is your oyster. Where would you be? Who would you be with? The possibilities are endless. Whether you believe it's possible for you or not, you can make more, work less and live free. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, where entrepreneur, best-selling author, world traveler and adventurer, Bryce Robertson and special guests crack the code on money, health, relationships, spirituality and having fun doing what you love most. Be inspired to create your own self-designed freedom lifestyle. Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. Thanks again for joining us today. Freedom Hack Radio is where we explore the freedom trinity of financial, time, and location freedom. And we do this through a balance of wealth, health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun. And today, I've got a really special guest with us, Matthew Owens. Matthew Owens is a CPA and owner of OCG Properties. He has a BA in economics with an emphasis in accounting from UC Santa Barbara. Matthew has bought, renovated, and sold or held over 700 single-family properties, and he's currently buying five-plus single-family rental properties per month. Matthew acquires and operates value-add multifamily properties. He's a private lender with over $10 million lent in multiple markets across the U.S. He's raised over $75 million in private investors' capital. He currently owns over 130 units in Memphis, Tennessee, Atlanta, Georgia, and St. Louis, Missouri. He has over 10 years of experience in property management, 15 plus years in taxation and auditing, and 15 plus years in, as a full-time real estate investor. And he's a super fun and down-to-earth guy. So Matt, it's a pleasure to have you with us here today. How's it going, man? Everything good? Yeah, things are really good. Things are awesome. Hey, mate, I've I got a quick question for you to start off here. What's giving you the most gratitude today, brother? You know, honestly, when I had my kids, you realize what's important in life. And uh, I have to tell you that every time you take a step back and look at what's important to you, with to me as my kids right now, you all the other problems melt away. You know what I'm saying? So putting things yeah. in perspective. <laughs> That's awesome, man. All about the kids. Uh, I remember when you when you had your son and you were telling me about it. And you're you're usually a pretty high energy guy. And then, but you just freaking lit up, man. When you were telling me about like your son and and like you wake up in the morning and he's like running around the house and like giggling and stuff like that. I, I just saw your eyes lit up and that's that's really cool. I'm stoked for you guys and your family. He beats the crap out of me every day. It's pretty hilarious. So <laughs> <laughs> and now I got a little, I have a daughter now that's also two years, it's two years old and they're already learning financial education. They just don't know it. It's like the karate kid, the, the wax on, wax off stuff, but they're learning over time about all that stuff. So I'm excited to be able to teach them about, you know, financial education and the new way of uh, becoming an entrepreneur and, and learning how to make money for themselves, you know? So and, how, and how, how are you doing now? Like how old are your kids? And then what are you doing for financial education? So my son is five and my daughter's two. And so my daughter, honestly, at this point, she's playing with coins, you know, putting them in the piggy bank, loving doing that kind of stuff. And, you know, she, she's just barely learning to talk. So there's not a whole lot there yet. Right. Other than just coming, becoming familiar with stuff and uh, understanding and also playing 
uh, with us when I bring my son into it. And he has the Robert Kiyosaki Cash Flow for Kids uh, game that teaches financial education. And um, right now it's kind of like Monopoly, right? Where you go around and you, uh, you collect your paycheck every time. But once in this game, you got to pay your mortgage and pay your expenses once you get your paycheck. So they, they're all happy to get this money coming in. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, sorry, you got to pay your bills. And, and, then, and then, you know, also taxes and things like that, of course. And the whole idea though, is that you land on these opportunities. And when you land on these opportunities, they create cash flow for you. And once all your opportunities cover your monthly expenses, you're free. And you get to go on vacations and buy toys and all kinds of other stuff with the game. So it's pretty cool. That's, it teaches the core concepts of this without, but in a fun way, you know? So That's so awesome. I, I, we actually play the game, the, the, I suppose the adult version, the cash flow version. And it is pretty much like a realistic example of what it's like in real life, you know, get out of the rat race. And if you're an attorney or if you're a doctor, you got like much higher expenses. And if you're a janitor, you've got much lower expenses and it's kind of easier to start off as a janitor. Um, but, but yeah, that's awesome. I think it's like really good. And in your program and your kids at like a young age, that's, that's awesome. That's so well, good. It's just, it's just about the education piece that they don't get in the schools and that type of stuff. And, you know, we're, we're doing private school and homeschool because we want to teach them those core curriculum. You know, we were talking earlier in that, that communication with, you know, being able to communicate correctly and understand their emotional um, emotions and all that kind of stuff goes massively into business and being and having the confidence level to be able to take those risks that you would want to take. Just instilling that the things that, you know, you didn't know growing up at all. And none of us really did. We weren't really taught it very much. And then all of a sudden, you have these aha moments in your life. And I've had mine through my entrepreneur career after quitting my CPA firm job. I quit my CPA firm job in 2006. So mm -hmm. I was a real estate genius for about a year and a half before I got punched in the face <laughs> and literally lost everything. So, um, but at that point, that's when you learn to pick yourself back up and realize that your only limitation is your own emotions and your own reactions to these types of things that happen to you. And what's crazy that happened after that is, you know, since then we've flipped 700 houses, we're doing a lot of multifamilies. You know, we, we run a nonprofit that teaches financial education and real estate education. It's a lot of fun doing this. Don't get me wrong. It's crazy busy with the amount of deal flow we have. Uh, but at the same time, you realize very quickly that your success has to do with your ability to stand back up or maneuver through problems that are a constant. So I, I swear, I think one day I counted like 15 problems that I dealt with with regard to real estate before noon. And I was going, wow, I don't think normal people can handle this, <laughs> you know, because it's, yeah. it's crazy. And it all affects your money too when, it, when you're the business owner in that situation. So you can see where people make the wrong reaction or get bogged down. You know, I, I had a big financial hit, you know, then and uh, it was very difficult for me emotionally. My my mentality was set. I had a 790 credit score at the time. And you realize very quickly that your ego needs to be in check because we started flipping houses super fast right after quitting my job. And we got a world an office at the World Trade Center in Long Beach. You know, mm -hmm. we were we were we were moving houses. We were doing really good. And then all of a sudden everything stopped and you realize, wow, I'm not that dope. <laughs> It's just the market that's, that's doing really well. And you realize how much you don't know. So it was a massively humbling experience. And by that happening, you realize by being able to stand back up and make things happen and continue to push and push and push. And don't get me wrong. I was looking at the job boards going, how, 
how do I survive right now? And that's a thought in your head, but because you doubt yourself. But you know, after pushing through over and over again those items, now when a problem comes off, it's like, okay, well, there's no emotional reaction anymore. It's what what do we do to handle it? And what's the next steps? How do you mitigate the risk from that never happening again? And you know, are we okay financially with it? And does something happen? Because you know, five thousand dollars here, five thousand dollars there on a single family home flip is nothing. You just don't want the 30s and the 40s if something like that happened, you know? Um, at the same time, we're doing enough volume that we, we see that as a percentage and build it into our KPIs and, uh, and try to mitigate as much of that as possible. I'll tell you, after flipping 700 houses, you find 700 ways to lose money on a house if it's possible, you know? So yeah. it, it makes you be able to maneuver through those problems much easier once you've handled a few of them. And there's, there's so many moving parts as an entrepreneur. We have to be resilient. Like resilience is huge because like it's, there's definitely going to be challenges. And I'm sure you would have realized as you're expanding your business, you're growing it bigger and bigger and you've got like ton. I know you're a super busy dude. You got tons going on. The more you're expanding your business, the more people that can screw up like in that connection, like the more like thousands of people that, uh, that are involved in all of these processes. And it's, it's just a numbers game. Like you can, you can guarantee that people are going to make mistakes and you know, whose wallet does it hit yours? So you got to solve the problems. Right. And, and, and a lot of that comes, you know, is, is difficult too, when you're on a thin budget, when it comes to time and stuff like that, when you're starting to do volume, but you know, at the same time, you got to work with those people and own up to the fact that if those people cost you money, then it's your fault too, for not putting the proper uh, checks and balances in place and immediately look at yourself and say, what could I have done differently? Because every single time that I've lost money on a deal, there's something that I could have done differently that would have, would have mitigated the risk of that happening. It's not foolproof. You know, I had a guy lie to me to my face on a Zoom video meeting for a year uh, and, and ended up costing me a couple hundred thousand dollars. You know, like I, I, I was too nice in a situation like that. I should have been like, no, I'm done. Pay me. You know, I wanted to use a mm -hmm. F word, but I'll leave that out. So, but mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, you, I should have been much harder in a situation like that. My very first eviction that I ever did um, was a very hardening experience. I actually went up to the actual tenant's house myself to, to find out why they weren't paying with my manager. Um, it was a 500 pound lady bedridden in the front living room wow. with a two year old and a four year old taking care of her and had, wow. you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, medical people coming in consistently to help her and stuff like that. And she lied to me to my face multiple times over and over again. I gave her my personal business card to help her. Long story short, it took an Azusa trooper, a cargo net and 15 firefighters to get her out through the front window of the house and take her to the hospital and have the kids go to the parents' house to get her out of that house finally and, and you know, help the situation. Cause there was literally like months and months going by me being nice about it and things like that. And you realize after going through that, you're like, that is horrible. Like, how do you, you know, like how do you emotionally own rentals then if that's a possibility of that happening, right? But at the same time, you realize that like you can't, like I had a, a joint venture investor on that. They're getting harmed and stuff like that in that situation. There's other people involved that help with that situation. You do everything you can to help the people involved, but you can't help life in general in certain situations. You want to be able to help everybody, but financially it's just not possible, you know? So, but with these types of examples, these are the problems that deal with 
owning and, and managing real estate yourself. This is why you put property managers in place to help with this stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. And so like on that note of, you know, you were saying you used to be like too kind. What do you think some of the biggest challenges uh, of your own, like the things that you had, you were getting in your own way, the biggest things in yourself that you had to overcome on your path as an entrepreneur? You know, the biggest thing is, is, basically going through and getting out of your own way when it comes to trying to do all the work yourself and thinking mm -hmm. that you should do it. In reality, you can't do it. Even if you can outsource it to somebody that can't do it as good, you may not be able to, it's still costing you more money to not outsource that item or not have that item taken care of by somebody else, whether it's an employee, a virtual assistant, a subcontractor. You know, what, what I started doing, for example, is in the beginning, I was flipping five a month slammed constantly five to 10 houses a month, always slammed, you know, with, with work. And then uh, what happened eventually is when we started bringing in the lending to the table and bringing resources to other people in other markets, we started to do joint ventures with people and we would make our interest as well as um, a percentage of the flip income, like 50% of the profits on the sale. And we have built in buyers with our turnkey system. So we had other outside affiliates that were helping sell our properties for us. So we got, you know, people on the ground, we got ground game covered and we got the sale piece covered completely on that side. And so we're just bringing resources to the table and making a big chunk of the profits along the way as well. And so, but we're also enabling these, the, the people on the ground to expand now. Now they're able to go and, you know, there's a ton of wholesalers that can't find, they, they don't, they have a, a ton of deals, but no money and, or little money. And so if we go and put a first position in place and put our money in, in second position and take title to that asset to protect our, our funds involved, because if we're putting up hundred percent of the money and they're managing the construction, doing all the workload, we do inspections in place to make sure our checks and balances are taken care of just like we would on any loan. Um, and, we manage that those people involved in that process is you can expand greatly to a lot more deals on a monthly basis, you know, when you're dealing with these outside teams involved. And so from my perspective, learning how to delegate and learning how to bring in quality team members and crawl with them before you run, because there's a lot of bad team members out there, um, make them jump through a lot of hoops before you bring someone in as well. Um, I think those types of things are going to be key to any investor's success. And then writing out a plan, not having a plan in place, just going out there and just being a flipper. Okay, find houses and, and, and flip or, or find houses and hold or find multifamilies and hold or whatever that is, having that end result. I want $50,000 a month, every single month coming in from my long-term holds. And I'm going to get it through how many exactly multifamily units, how many exactly single family units, how many notes am I going to be holding long-term to get that, that money in and how much spread do I have to make on that? I don't consider hard money loans that we do as long-term st stabilized assets. I feel like that's a job and a business versus, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people call it notes, but it's not long-term notes. So long-term notes would be a buy and hold type asset. Um, but, and so it's lining out every piece of that picture with your end result in mind and making sure everybody on your team understands it and it has that goal too. Because what happens with your team once you become financially free from cash flow? That means their, their positions and their jobs and everything that they uh, work for is also fully paid for forever and taken care of. 
and then can be grown upon from that point forward to make everybody financially free. And so if everybody has that mindset within your company, you can grow it to a, a, the nth degree and everybody's on the same page and wants to, even if some of them make mistakes, that's what everybody wants to do. But you got to constantly remind them of that, that goal as well, you know? So, so what are you doing like on a, on a daily and weekly basis to cultivate that culture within your business? I mean, obviously you had to get clarity on it yourself, but what are you doing to like cultivate that and to inspire people and to get them just as juiced as you are? Cause you want You want that same like excitement in them. Right. So one, it's communication on how well your company's doing and the profits and where you are and where those goals are consistently on a quarterly basis, if not more. And in, daily conversations with them or weekly conversations as you have meetings with your team. So I have Tuesday morning meetings with my team consistently for, for years. And uh, every Tuesday we go over every deal that's in process, any tasks that are going on. And it's usually a two hour type meeting. And then we also go over adjustments to what's happening in the, in uh, to our, to our entire company, what hits we take. So they see that as well. It's full transparency with the full team on everything that's going on with the company so that they can see where we're at and how much progress we're making. And, you know, in some cases, when we don't take the progress, when we take a step back and take a hit for, you know, on a flip or whatever that deal is. And we let everybody know so that everybody knows where we can improve on that. And so it's those types of conversations and also having the right discussions with them so that like, uh, and, and leading by example, like I don't, I take $8,000 a month out of my company to live mm. in Southern California. And I, don't take much out of that. After that, it's just all reinvested into more cash flow. And so mm -hmm. everybody is on the same level and understanding of, hey, we're at this certain level until we reach financial freedom. After we reach financial freedom, all additional cash flow will go to everybody involved here and we'll all start making more money. And I make sure they know me first. <laughs> and that, and so that's the, the angle that you're going for. Like your, your, your top people, um, your first line of people that are working with you, you're inspiring them because they want to, they want to achieve the same things that you've already achieved and they want to be financially free and they want to have these, these goals, right? Right, exactly. And, and in addition to that, what we do is all of our subs and people that work with us in different ways and get paid off of referrals and all that, um, it's all incentive. So um, any person referred to us, for example, gets paid in perpetuity for the life of the client, for all future investments of that client, for all future loans of that client. So I'm trying to develop yeah. cash flow streams even for my affiliates so that I don't care if they don't do anything after the initial referral. Um, my goal is to incentivize cash flow for everybody involved in the process. So I will give up profits of my own to make sure that happens with everybody that I work with. And so that mindset per, uh, permeates through the different people that I work with. And, um, and it's really enabled me to expand drastically. I have affiliates in Japan, uh, multiple affiliates in Japan, multiple affiliates here, multiple military affiliates and things like that, that I work with that just trust me implicitly because they've seen that, Hey, you just bought a house and there was a $6,000 repair because the, the water level came up in the basement that had never happened before. And I just cover it for them to take care of them on a, on a house like that. You know, I put mm -hmm. money aside for, you know, when you buy real estate, stupid problems happen, right? Entirely. All the time. And so yeah. you put money aside for that stuff because you know, your investor buyers and your capital investors and things like that, they don't have an understanding of all of the intricacy, 
intricacies that come with operations like that. And so we buffer for all of that to be on the safe side so that everybody's on a floating cloud as much as possible, you know? And they also know when there's problems and when we're taking care of them too, because I make sure we tell them, hey, I got you, don't worry about it on this and you know, we'll take care of it. So we give up some profits for that type of thing as well. Uh, which helps our reputation drastically and you know we stand by what we do so you know but all of that stuff comes out in uh how we interact with people how we interact with our team and the mindset and that's part of our vision as well is to have that mindset of you know providing more service than you're actually paid for like i can't even remember that mm-hmm. there's so many times that i just give free consultations to people and help people on the financial side i started to recently charge for it because i was like this is just like I can't, you know what I mean? Get it's totally out of hand. Yeah. And and I also I also don't want to do it because it's like it's hours of my day that mm-hmm. um that I could be flipping in one house in an hour if I really found a house and fl- I, literally that happens to me all the time. I have too many deals to analyze myself, and I'm the primary um you know bottleneck when it comes to analysis because I have my way of doing it, and I have other people I've trained, but it's always constant tweaking and adjusting for every deal because every deal is different, right? So, so you're obviously personally involved and you're setting the, you're leading by example and, and you're, you're providing massive value undoubtedly. And then it seems like the kinds of people that you're looking for to work with directly, um, you want those guys to be taking on things personally as well. So if there's a problem and Matt comes to the table and says, Hey, there's a problem. You just want to know that they just got it and they're just going to take care of it because they're personally engaged. They're not going to like sweep it under the rug and try and get away with it. They're going to crush it. Yeah. Right. And, and there's people that do try to sweep it under the rug and, and, and we don't work with them anymore. As soon as that mm-hmm. happens, I cover it and we're done with them, you know, and it's yeah. a matter of that mindset. And, you know, we, we sell a lot of properties to U.S. military members and retirees and things like that because we have a big affiliate that helps with uh, finding military members and helping them invest in real estate to create something for themselves after they get out of the military because a lot of them are kind of stuck where they come from you know, really important roles in the military to civilian life where they're starting from scratch. Maybe they have some skills and things like that, but they aren't given the same respect that they deserve outside Mm -hmm. of it. Right. And so he's showing them ways of, you know, you know, PTSD and all these things are big problems with them as far as depression. And, you know, you realize because what they have had had to go through and you realize that, you know, we're providing this to military members as a way to create financial freedom in their lives and they're becoming massive resources. So if we start dealing with other people that don't have that mindset where it's like, look, we're going to take care of these guys, no matter what, like we had a guy that got hit with wire fraud where he literally didn't confirm the wire instructions with the title company and the title company got, uh, uh, spoofed or whatever it's called, where they um, they they take over the the title company's email. Yeah, yeah uh, pu- pushed is what it is. I think right. Push they give it, it give so, the wrong numbers back. Right, and so so he it was forty grand, and like we literally were luckily I don't, he was literally like really high up in the military, so I think he made some calls and was able to talk with the bank and get that back, but it was supposed mm-hmm. to be gone, wow. and. We were, we were literally about to cut him a check and he knew about this already for the entire thing with me and my affiliates that are involved with them because we're like, we're not going to let this like military member really high up <laughs> take a $40,000 hit for some fraud dealing with us, you know, and, and think yes. about what that does as far as incentive. For, that's literally the best marketing you could ever get in your life having that happen, right? So does that make sense? So, and, th- and yeah. that's also something that 
it matters to you because earlier you were just talking about saying, Hey, like, I don't mind taking the 5k hits, but if I got to take a 30, 40 K hit, we don't want to hear about those ones. So right. I know that like, you know, that, that hurt you to do that or you didn't have to go through with it, but you were ready. So you were ready to do something that you don't want happen to yourself because right. you and just that, wanted to solve the problem. That one's my split would have been about 20 on that one. And it would have hurt really bad, but you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, I can't always do this if some random thing happens later on on the property or something like that, you know, but we do everything we can to mitigate. We step in and help with property management, with investment advice and things like that with our teams and our different people that work with us. But you know, that mindset is really important as being a real estate investor because it's rare and people have a massive need for that genuine advice on what they should or shouldn't do because it's not out there. This is not educated. There's other than, you know, our Phoebe groups and, you know, what you're doing on the podcast and some other, you know, decent podcasters, there's not, you know, a plentiful amount of education in the traditional system that p normal people know about. I yeah. had no idea about this space at all until I quit my CPA firm job and started looking for it, you know? So <laughs> Let, let's talk about that. Like, when did you realize you wanted to become a full-time investor? <laughs> It's funny. Um, I was working at a CPA firm doing tax and audit for real estate companies primarily um, and some other manufacturing companies and things like that. And it was the most boring thing in the world to me. I understood it and it, it, it's analyzing, you know, companies financials. So, which is really kind of the backbone of most real estate as well as analyzing financials and an analyzing, yeah, you know, totally. deals and knowing math, knowing math in as much detail as I do when it comes to, you know, analyzing your ROI and your, um, and, 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 you know, your, your amortization IRI. schedules and your spreads and all that stuff. It's a massively unfair advantage, you know, when it mm -hmm. comes to real estate. And so um, that's probably my best skill set because it helps me with structuring deals, you know, in that kind of situation. And so like on multifamilies and all that stuff or reselling properties and being creative and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I was working at these CPA firm jobs and I was bored out of my mind going, I can't, do this anymore. I remember wanting to go to work one day or I was going to work one day and just wanting to cry, just going, I, I, I'm miserable doing this. It's not challenging. It's not interesting to me. And I'm, you know, doing the same thing year after year. And, uh, and I, my stepbrother calls me and he's like, Hey dude, I, I, I got this thing that I need you to come to. It's called Nouveau Riche. And, uh, and I want you to come and uh, it's like 16 grand. It's all about real estate and how to make money in real estate. And I'm like, you got jacked, dude. <laughs> Someone just stole your money. I was like, you paid 16 grand. He's like, yeah, but you got to come. Trust me. No, it's really good. I was like, yeah, I'll be there. Even though I was totally not going to show up. I was going to be like, yeah, whatever. And so he calls me like the day of, and he's like, yeah, come, come on in. And, uh, and, uh, like, you got to go, you got to go. I'm like, fine. So I go, they show this whole presentation on real estate investing, which they give you a full class on like, Every class you can think of, wholesaling, legal and tax, um, legal and tax advance, IRA investing, flipping, buy and hold investing, property management, lending, everything you can think of. In uh, one so day? Uh, no. And, and what it is, is you pay 16 grand and you I go guess. and you get two full weeks per year, two, two years in a row. And, and those weeks are like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. classes. Like that's it cram that's classes, but it's two weeks and it's two years right for 16 grand but they bring in all these class teachers and yeah it's you know not cheap but it and, but at the same time um they wanted you to go sell the education to other people for eight grand and stuff like that too so there's where that you know multi-level marketing thing came in totally. but i went i went to this thing and i'm like this is my ticket out and i was like i'm ready to sign up and 
uh, because I was so interested in real estate and needing something else to go, go to. Um, and it just immediately hit me and interested me to the nth degree because they had this whole click a mouse, buy a house type of deal. You could buy a house online and it was like a horrible deal probably with, you know, the ROI and everything back then, but they had the lenders set up and everything else around it. But, um, I took the classes and the problem is 95% of the people never do anything with that education, like nothing. They just take the classes, waste the money. And then the company gets a bad rep because of that. Uh, at the end of the day, I look back. And I feel like it was, I learned more in that than college for four years and college was worthless for me. Um, honestly, like I think my professional writing class was good. Maybe some of my accounting classes, but I didn't really know accounting until working for a CPA firm. And so, you know, these types of, uh, things, I think, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like giving the, looking at the, the, that that introduction to real estate really gave me a reason to jump. And I, I remember going back to work for the next like year, just thinking about that, trying to learn as much as I could about real estate while I took the classes. And as soon as I finished the classes, I just quit. And I was like, I'm done. And that was 2006. I'm like, I'm going to go into real estate in 2006, brand new. <laughs> but what, wait up here. So, uh, and I totally agree with you. Financial education is huge. So you're saying, hey, you went to college, you did your deal, but then yeah. like a lot of that didn't really convert into making money. Whereas right. the course that you took, um, that was financial education. You could literally go out there and apply these things you're learning right. to make money or save money, which is making money anyway. Um, and then, yeah, so that's, so that's super awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, as, soon, as soon as my kids can sit still, they're going to be watching Zoom videos of you and, and everybody else that I know that I know is smart real estate investors just to have it in their ear constantly. And because it's the best education you can get when you're talking about financial education, financial freedom, real estate education, economics, you know, understanding all of these things, understanding business structures and tax mitigation and you know, the, the law, the legal aspects of real estate and really legal aspects of running a business doesn't have to be in real estate. You know, in my opinion, selling houses is just selling a widget to me. Now selling loans is a widget to me. It's just a matter of, you know, identifying risk, mitigating risk to the nth degree. And it's really profitable, of course, in, in the real estate arena. Um, you know, you're, I'm just developing a different form of cash flow. And so however you look at it, you want to create cash flow in your life that's long-term and sustainable. And that's the goal, no matter how you do it. Um, my, my son's going to get in trouble for, you know, paying kids to do his homework so he can go sell stuff. You know? <laughs> so, nice. That's awesome. So I want to go back to what you were saying there. And uh, you, were, you were actually saying you quit your job. This is back, back to 2006 or something like that. And right. so you were educated. Had you done any deals yet though? I, I got my first deal under contract that I thought I was going to make 30 grand and I made 20 and then quit my job, immediately got an office with my two stepbrothers that both quit their jobs that were both uh, computer programmers and electrical engineers, extremely smart guys, tough to talk to people when you're an engineer. And I'm also a CPA. So I had to learn how to talk to people. I remember yeah. standing at my very first like investment club meeting with a booth going, I hope nobody talks to me because I really don't know crap right now, <laughs> you know? So, mm-hmm. and it's just a scary yeah. situation to get yourself out there, but I, I did everything wrong. I, I had high overhead where we were trying to pay ourselves a salary along with this with not really a whole lot of funding, but we started to sell houses quickly and make fees off this money and do really well off of it uh, very quickly. Um, We were buying, 
we had when everything crashed, we had 35 houses out there all at the same time. Uh, and we were selling them, renovating them, selling them in like three to four weeks every single time. And, um, wow. and it was ridiculously fast. And so we were like, let's take our cash and go buy 35 houses. And we had sold them all with seller financing. They were in the process of refinancing and paying us off with a rate and term refinance when the lending market stopped. And we were like, mm. we have no cash. We're screwed. And all of us had like crazy credit scores. So um, when everything was, uh, and, and a ton of credit lines available to us, when everything was crashing, we just pulled out the, the, the funds as much as we could, paid our investors to make sure they got paid and paid off on any private loans and, you know, tried to make it float and went down with the ship and lost everything, you know, and it was the most humbling thing that has ever happened to me. But it's also the reason why I'm crazy strong and educated now. And I'm always looking for where that dang left hook is because, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the brokers were t all telling me we took all these loans to like five, six, seven different brokers uh, when we were trying to get them refinanced and not a single one didn't know they couldn't do it and they weren't getting any of them refinanced because the lending market stopped for like six, seven months. It seemed like during that period of time. And then there was no appraisals that happened. So you, you could take some major hits, you know, during that period of time. And now I, how, what do you learn from that as immediate thing? I look, look for it's okay. Always make sure your investors are taken care of because they all reinvested with me after I showed them what we did. Mm -hmm. And then after that, um, it's watch out for that left hook of the market or what am I not seeing that's going to knock me out and, you know, take me down and, and make me ruined or something again. You know, right now I have major stability now so that that way I don't, that doesn't happen. I have underlying cash flow to cover everything uh, as well as my flips, like a hundred percent of interest and rehab and buffers put aside on every deal. Like it's the accounting piece is on point now because of all of that, you know? So you learn quick. <laughs> so yeah, and, and let's unpack that one here too. And so like, you know, going back, you, you, you had amped and you're like, you were juiced because you knew it was possible in the beginning and you were sold that it was possible yeah. and you knew you were the man that could make it happen. And so you're like, screw this, I'm all in. And I think that's like a pretty common thing that a lot of investors want to do in the beginning. A lot of investors want to go all in instead of, um, you know, actually creating pieces, their employment income right. and then going in. And, um, and that's something a lot of people come in early and find out the hard way. Um, I, right. I had that, I, I did that a couple of times, uh, in the beginning and I'm like, no, nope, too early. Got to go back. And, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so, so that's a common thing. Um, but the, the other thing is, is all of this happened and okay. So you've got some lessons to learn and I want to unpack that in a minute here, but you'd also built these skills and you've already built this experience and you'd built investors. So when you had to start again, you didn't start from zero. You were starting like, you know, from the halfway mark or something like that, or maybe even three quarters uh, down the path because you, you already had the resources, the connections and all of this. You probably just were like financially, okay, we kind of screwed that one up. But so what, what were the biggest things you learned? And then how has that helped you coming into like 2020? Because I'm, I'm assuming uh, like, you know, so many other investors, you totally anticipated some kind of economical crash and you've probably been talking about it for years. Um, so you want to, you want to unpack that one for us? Yeah. So, you know, when, when, when you're talking about the things that you learn, I, you know, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is to not have an emotional reaction when there's a problem and focus on the solutions first. Um, and that gives you enormous strength because when, when you're actually going through and uh, able to focus on the solution 
and have your fear not realize itself over and over and over again, because 90% of the time, the fears that we think don't really ever happen, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a fear. And how do you stop that from happening? Um, aside from, you know, health issues and all that kind of stuff, of course, you know, it's major issues, but, um, you, you realize that that is your biggest strength. And after doing that and all, after flipping and doing all the deals that I've done over the years, you realize that your knowledge is your biggest strength. And no matter what happens, I'm not afraid anymore. I know, I know there's risk out there and it's a matter of how do you mitigate the risk? What do you do logically, not emotionally to fix the situation, you know? Um, and uh, I think, doing that and gaining, I'll kind of go over some key skill sets that I think are important, especially as it pertains to business and real estate. Um, but, um, that I, that I learned that give me that confidence. Okay. And, and a lot of that comes down to, um, you know, understanding tax and legal structures and understanding contracts after reading contracts for years in real estate I mean, associated with in my CPA firm and really not understanding them not then, but then, realizing that gave me a little bit of a base foundation uh, to read contracts in the future and now really understanding them because I have a vested interest in understanding these contracts now as a business owner. So yeah, and, and, and as a business owner or in business, it, it's all in writing. And if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. And you've, you've basically got nothing else to fall on. And, and right. you have to fall on your contracts a lot. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's, that's key. Yeah. You do have to fall on your contracts and point those contracts out and make sure that you're, when you're dealing with contracts with people, that it's clear to the other parties involved that they understand the contracts as well. You don't want somebody not understanding a contract and then you have an issue that goes for, that goes for not only, you know, buying and selling deals in real estate that comes to lending agreements that comes to LLC agreements and operating agreements on syndications uh, that comes to property management agreements. You should have seen some of the crap I've seen in property management agreements. It's amazing. Sometimes, you know mm -hmm. what you can see in those things. Um, it's, it's understanding all those intricate details and even with your investors, making sure they understand here are the contracts and if I'm bringing a promissory note in, I'm saying, this is your collateral for this deal. Here's what gets recorded at the recorder's office to protect your interest against that property. Here's the assignment of rents and leases, which means that if it's rented, they, you know, get to actually, you can collect the rents if they're not paying you, you know, here is the title insurance and the lender's title insurance and the homeowner's policy. And here's the checklist of risk that needs to go into this and understand this contract. This is what it says that that borrower has to pay. And that's one of the biggest ways of raising capital is being able to explain to your investors in detail what the contracts mean in layman's terms, um, mm -hmm. what, the, what they're signing and the, the basic understanding and outline and risks associated with that deal and how you go about mitigating those risks. You know, you and I have both read a ton of syndication documents and yeah. there's always 900 pages of risks in there or something yeah. like that. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, how do you go present that to an investor and say, by the way, there's all these risks and not have them be scared out of their mind. It's, mm -hmm. it's, this is how I mitigate every one of these risks. 
You know, if there's risk of you yeah. going to Vegas and stealing all the money or something like that, how many investors have you done, worked with before that have gotten their money back? And can I talk to them, for example, right? And, mm -hmm. and can you do a background check on you or something like that, right? There's a lot of ways of mitigating risk on every risk there is, is just understanding how to do it. And if you don't know how to do it, find somebody else that's mitigated that risk before that it specializes in that that can help you understand how you can come to terms with a risk involved, right? So that's how you raise money. It's the best way to do it because then, and, and I can tell you once I didn't need money anymore, the money started coming like very fast yep. um, across the board. And that, that's common um, because it's a mindset shift and an emotional shift that occurs. And because you'd already also at the same time, although it was a mindset shift, you, you, you probably went from a, a, a tint of being like a little bit desperate, maybe even, you know, like I need right. something like an underlying feeling of I need something to like, you can tell I'm just uh, radiating that I don't need anything. And if you want to join me, great. And, and that'll benefit you, but it doesn't really make a big difference to me at the end of the day. And they right. can... And, and they can tell that. But also at the same time, you built the momentum in your business where people are just going to be coming to you because you get a track record and you've already pushed the rock over the hill. And now you're just letting it roll down the other side. And, and the biggest key to all of that is education of your investors, of everybody you deal with, deal with and do business with, because um, the more you educate, the the less fear they have of working with you, the more they know that you know what you're talking about, you know? So even though sometimes my brother and I have an internal joke that every time I say, oh, this guy seemed like he knew what he was talking about, he ends up screwing a stand. So you, you gotta be careful and do your homework as well as just getting a good feel for somebody, of course. Um, I've been screwed by the nicest people in the world sometimes. Yeah. You're like, wow, like that, that's, that Memphis accent really threw me off thinking I, you know, type of deal. But, you know, uh, same thing with Australians. You know, I think you're just a lovely guy just because of the accent, man. So it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I'll, I'll never take advantage of that in that no manner. <laughs> but, but that's huge. And like a lot of what I've heard from you saying today, and it's interesting because we're talking about real estate investing, we're talking about business, but you specifically are talking about relationships. So I'm interested out of your day, out of your organization and prioritization, like what percentage of your business time that you spend in business do you think you're spending on creating and, and harnessing and cultivating relationships? Now my, my needs are a lot less. Uh, in the very beginning, I was going to probably four networking events a week, every week mm -hmm. for two years to develop yeah. relationships with people and develop all of that. At this point, because I have outsourced affiliates that help me with different things, I try my hardest to not do that as best I can, but it's still 25% of my day at mm -hmm. least. If, if not sometimes 50, because I'm developing relationships with, in a different way now, instead of capital investors, it's operators. It's uh, different team members on the ground in these other markets, it's, um, it, which in, includes operators, but you know, management companies, um, it's uh, you know, uh, inspectors and bird dogs and people like that. It's um, all of those types of relationships that bring me more inventory and more deals so that I can expand because right now I can provide five to 10 houses a month, but I can sell 20 right now with the amount of demand because you're talking about three and a half percent single family home investment property interest rates, three and a half to four right now. It's absurd. Mm -hmm. 
So mm -hmm. you got as many people trying to buy. And now we have uh, what's called non-QM financing out there, which we're able to provide people six and a half percent, 30 year fixed rate money. That's non Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac money now. So, and it's, you know, this goes back to the strength thing, right? It's where are your resources? What resources have you been able to develop over that period of time of, of learning and, and developing to be able to make you stronger? The amount of capital sources that I'm just continuing to develop as I learn more about the lending world and the automation that can happen from it and everything else, it's amazing what these new relationships and new learning can do for you. There's a never ending uh, uh, learning that you can do in this and, and never ending ways for you to add more value and make more money in real estate. At this point, there's too much opportunity. I can't look at it all. It's not you possible. You literally can't keep you know? up with it. There's, yeah, it's, there's it's, so many ways to make money. You have to actually just like focus on the things that you, you, you just can't do it all. So somebody sent me an 11 and a half cap uh, 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 multifamily building today that was wow. uh, rented out via a hospice to COVID patients, right? Um, and, you know, which is scary, of course, but I don't have time to look at it in detail. And it's an 11 and a it half sounds cap like a deal. Deal, you know? yeah. yeah. And I'm going, oh man, but it's, you know, cause there's just some risk to it. So I'm like, let me bring in a specialty operator that specializes in this space, you know, and just refer it out and make hopefully make a referral fee or something like that out of it, you know, but yeah. like that could be a massive referral fee. It's like a $10 million plus deal, you know? So it's just an interesting opportunity. But um, so there's all these types of opportunities that I find that over time you have to focus on what you're good at in your system, get mm -hmm. that set up really well right now on my single family home system. I don't really have to do anything except for a final pricing review and that's it. I, I have people that do all my quality control work, check the inspection reports. We get side-by-side -side pictures of everything in the report showing it's done with, um, with a disclosure checklist of the age of every system in that property. And I have my team handling all of that, getting, budget, getting you know, budgets and all of that stuff and submitting it to another team member for review to be able to then go take that out to our investor buyers that are going to go buy those assets from us with proper financial projections and everything else with management set up. We have translation services for our Japanese clients because we've sold about 400 houses to Japanese clients that live in Japan because they can write off the, 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 the houses over five years for under Japanese tax law. And they bought like a lot of multifamilies from us in cash and things like mm -hmm. that too, because they're buying a $2 million building and you can write that off over five years. That is incentive enough. And they're buying it seven caps from us, you know, that they're like great fully renovated buildings, no problem, you know? So, yeah. um, so they were extremely happy, but um, you know, learning these resources over time is really what gets you there um, to be able to make more and more and more money, but also focusing on cookie cutter activities that you can have other people slowly step in and do and paying them a piece. Like, my rehab managers, we pay 2,500 bucks to, to rehab manage a house. And I have somebody doing that in every single project that then reports to somebody else. So I have proper segregation of duties because I've lost money on that before, you know, and you learn those types of rules, those things. But this is all the things you want to learn, raising capital, tax structures, legal structures, um, uh, investment analysis, investment due diligence, uh, you know, those legal contract reviews and everything else relationships, meeting new operators, all of these types of resources and skill sets are important to learn to be successful in real estate. 
And, 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 and additional things like, you know, communication, you're talking about like relationships and communication, things like this. Um, what's something that's shown up like in your life as a result of being an investor that uh, has just shown up in your life that you're like, holy crap, this is like a really cool thing. And I didn't think this would have anything to do with um, me being on my path in real estate at all. Oh, something that, something that um, kind of was, has affected me is um, I, I, I realized and, and my goal when quitting was I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. And I realized you can't be free unless you create financial freedom for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that's my driving why. Yep. And having that driving why and knowing that, you know, I can take a financial hit and stand back up and be strong that, like that is, I think, the key to what my, my focus is and my drive, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how, even though I can have moments of weakness, how strong being a business owner and how enjoyable learning new things like this can be. Uh, having yeah. a, I believe it took me from um, you know, doing the same thing every day, working for somebody else and not really having you know, uh, a, a end goal other than moving up the ladder you know, mm-hmm. um, to having a mindset of, of constantly wanting to learn and enjoying that process of learning and becoming better. And, and, you know, I have my things that I, my vices and my things that I do too, that I always want to do better. You know, I recently started working out again, finally after a while and, you know, that kind of thing. And everybody has their things that they're bad at, you know? Um, but for some, but, but it's really actually enjoyable to know that all those things that I'm bad at, that I want to get better or things that I want to learn, are available to me and that is all possible it's not like unachievable like anything is achievable if you really constantly focus on it and and that mindset and constant desire to learn and become better a better person all around you know with all your relationships with business with with uh, being a good person helping people that's key and you realize very quickly too through this that helping other people is the key to happiness long term Mm-hmm. You, if you go out and just help other people without expecting in return and don't tell anybody about it, just go help people mm-hmm. realize the enjoyment you get out of that. Next time anybody that's listening, you know, just wants to go help someone, you know, that's homeless or do whatever. Don't tell anybody, just go do that, you know, and any, any time you can help and don't tell anybody else, it is probably one of the most rewarding things that you know, uh, you could ever achieve. And I just told you, you know, something that I did, which I just with the opposite, sure. <laughs> of course, but I'm not telling you the things I did. <laughs> that's, that's the law of reciprocity. I mean, we must like give to take. And if we're out there and we're like, Oh, I want to, you know, I want to be a multimillionaire and financially free and all this kind of stuff. There's something you have to, you have to provide massive value along the way and not, and like you're saying, not just because like, well, I'm going to provide massive value because then I'll do a deal with this person. Just like, no, here's someone who needs my help and I can help them. Right. And, and that, that's key. It's key because you're looking at, you're looking at, look, you, everybody personally for them and their families wants financial freedom, of course. But at the same time, the thing that's bigger than yourself is finding a way to help as many people as you can have financial freedom as well. Absolutely. You know, and that is super like, I mean, it just gets you excited. Right. So 
That's, That's awesome. one of the main drivers behind this podcast, man. It's like, I realized how much my life changed when, cause I was a, I was a welder and steel fabricator and like stuck in this industry that I hated for like 17 years. Mm. And then I became financially free and then I freaking love my life. I traveled the world. It's amazing. It's awesome. And I'm like, like everybody can do this. I've got to like, I've got to spill the beans and share it with everybody and let them know because like, I didn't know. And so I want to like intercept people. So I think it's huge. So, you know, you know how investing has changed my life and a lot of my listeners do too. How has investing changed your life? What are the things that are in your life now that you're just like, you love them so much and you appreciate it so much. You're just like, man, and this is because of investing. I, I, I love the fact that I can work from anywhere and be free. Um, I, I, I look at, you know, we were talking before this about me going and renting an RV and going to mm -hmm. Idaho and going to all these different spots. And, you know, I really can work from anywhere I want now. All my teams, everybody works from home or different locations and they can travel wherever they want. And they're not stuck in one location where they can go and nowadays work from anywhere, especially with Zoom and everything else going on. It's, it's all still relationships. We're still meeting people and, you know, having calls and doing all that kind of stuff all via online. And I, I feel like a lot of that is because of the freedom that real estate can provide. You know, um, I'm not focused on any particular market. Um, I have other team members that work with me on these. So I'm not stuck to like, you know, a realty location or a farm yeah. area specifically and that kind of stuff. Um, and I, purposely created was able to create the business so that everybody can be free we actually had an office and i closed it probably eight nine months before covid cut about mm -hmm. 15 grand of expenses because i was a month because i wow. was like you know what the market yeah. something's going to happen with the market everything seems weird and i had no idea covid was going to happen but at the same time like new like th th this has been the longest up cycle we've ever had in u.s history and no world kidding. history so you know something's bound to crack right and so um, at the end of the day, though, I think that freedom is what real estate can provide, that freedom to travel, that freedom to set your schedule. And if I don't want to do deals, I can shut the system off if I wanted to, you know, so I can outsource so many pieces of the deal to where I don't have to be involved in those deals, you know, so um, and, and in reality, the cash flow that comes in from our long term holds from our long term notes and things like that give you stability long-term that it's that paycheck you were striving for from your job for so many years that you thought you would never have again because you're now an entrepreneur and uh, you know emotionally compromised and everything going up and down with your emotions as money comes in and goes out um and you struggle in the beginning i was working 14 hour days in the beginning and you didn't yeah. i didn't realize um how difficult it would be initially uh and but now that i've been able to stick with it that freedom that it provides is something that I don't know how else to get um, other yeah. than starting another business and stepping out of that business somehow. Right. So, yeah, but yeah, that's, that's super awesome. And you were talking about all the COVID stuff and everything like that. Like how have you adjusted? I mean, you anticipated, you knew something was going to happen. We all knew that 2020, well, well I was actually expecting it in late 2019, but 2020, we, we knew something was going to happen. We didn't know it was going to be COVID, but you know, that's a thing that popped a, a little bubble. I personally still think we've got a lot to come yet. I think we're going to see a much, much bigger crash. Um, how have you adapted to that? And uh, how have you adapted in your future plans as an investor over the next coming years? So 
first, I started buying a lot more long-term buy and holds with the financing that's out there right now to counterbalance for future inflation. I believe there will probably be initially deflation followed mm-hmm. by long-term inflation. Um, they may continue to just print money and print money and print money and keep interest rates low for a really long time. And we end up like Japan where it's a slow, steady stagflation like situation. But I, I think the, the Fed may not be able to keep that game up mm. long enough and we're going to have a massive deflationary event. Um, I don't, I, it'll probably be bigger than 2008 or the same you know, type situation as 2008 um, because things seem to be going up longer. But I'm not putting it past the Fed to, and the, the government to continue to print and print in perpetuity you know, uh, forever uh, and have the handcuffs completely off at this point. We have zero real... Uh, currency at this point. Um, yeah. and, and, I, and I see long-term major implications on that, especially for the poor and middle class, as they don't know how to take advantage of a lot of those situations, right? It's about that financial education is going to be the key to survival in the future, in my opinion, and uh, being able to stick and move with tech and as those things change. And so, um, I think there's still a massive amount of opportunity whenever there is a, a, a financial event or a problem that occurs. There's the most opportunity that you'll ever see. You make way mm-hmm. more money as a real estate investor, but yeah. you have the risk of loss too. So how do you position yourself to stop risk of loss? So what I'm doing in my business is historically in the very beginning, I was doing joint ventures with investors on equity because I had to pay a higher return. I didn't have enough capital investors and then it became all debt because I didn't need capital investors anymore. I had plenty of them. And so I turned it all into debt. And so that way I would start it off with higher debt and slowly lowered rates over time um, as I gained more and more capital investors. Um, mm-hmm. Now, um, and that was because I wanted to keep all the profits and, and, and you know, just borrow money that was available to me. Now, um, now that I'm uh, financially much, much more well off and, and taken care of and have some stability, I'm much more risk adverse. So I'm transitioning everything into equity. So my, I have a, a hard money fund that I lend capital out to flippers and that's all equity that I deal with from my private investors. I'm in the process of developing a buy and hold fund now uh, to do the same thing. And then I'm going to be doing also a flip fund in the future where I don't even have to borrow money for my own flips. I'm just going through and doing that type of strategy with all equity with a preferred return. And that way, you know, and and I'm also making sure that on my flips, I'm getting more margin involved when I'm doing a flip. I'm not previously, Mm -hmm. I was, I was fine with a 10% margin. Now I want 15 to 20 because I want, I I assume if you look at the downside of the market in 2008, on average, it went down like 5% to 10% per year, usually more in the beginning. And it slowed down over time, depending on the market that you're in consistently, right? It was a slow, steady decline for about seven years. Okay. But in any particular year, it didn't really seem to have a major drop above 10% in any particular market. And so if I'm okay at a 15% margin, then I'm making 5% profit. Great. Worst case. You know? Yeah. Worst case, right. you'd be at 5%. As long as I yeah. finish my product. Now there's other strategies too that you can implement like seller financing. How do yeah. I get out of a deal where I need to sell at the very top end of the comps and having trouble? I do seller financing to a homeowner and create the note and then leverage that note or sell the note off. And so there's learning these alternate exit strategies are going to be very, very key as you do your deal. So I would be looking at every single deal saying, what's worst case scenario? And all of the deals that I'm doing right now, if I had to rent them out, they're going to make me at least a six cap, if not 
up to nine and 10 caps for the most part. And and they're mostly in the Midwest. I don't like doing high-end houses. I usually deal with $300,000 or less loan sizes so that that way they create cash flow based on rental income if the market takes a dive, right? So, So these are the strategies that I'm implementing to mitigate risk. I've also called every single one of my borrowers when COVID was starting saying, hey, get your materials now because there might be supply chain issues coming from China with a lot of materials, which we're still seeing that on appliances being on three month back order and stuff like that. Everything, For, everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, 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 and that's I, probably going to get worse. And, what, what's, what's your thoughts on that one too? Are you expecting that to get worse? Like over the coming months? I, I, I think it'll get better. I think people are finding out solutions. I think the supply chains are opening a little bit more. Um, I don't think that, I, I think that after the election, we're going to see a lot of this go away. Um, I, I really believe a lot of this is politically motivated across the board, because when you mm-hmm. look at the true statistics, in my opinion, of the whole COVID thing, it, it does not seem majorly significant to no. uh, as far as a percentage basis when the CDC is saying that 6% of people didn't have other types of issues with them uh, that died. Now, don't get me wrong. Anybody dying is obviously a big deal. But, but in, in comparison we, to the actual like real statistical effects, the reaction economically and with like government coming in, it's just it doesn't match up at all. And they're using it to take away more of our private property rights and things like that. And so you look at you look at what just happened with the moratorium continuing, uh, using the CDC as a guise to be able to tell every landlord that they can't for they can't evict. And now typically yeah. this applies to FHA, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac mortgages uh, mm-hmm. for investment properties. So if it's private or something like that, that doesn't necessarily apply um, mm-hmm. uh, to that situation. Um, but it, because they don't have rights under under private contract law, uh, but uh, at the same time, they're they're pushing that 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 to the limit too. Private contract law stepping into homeowners' private contracts, and so um, and so these types of measures you want to mitigate your risk by shifting and you know i have family that has property in california uh, for example and seattle and we're looking at how do we reposition those assets into different markets because those markets in particular are attacking uh homeowners i mean uh property owners rights and you know enacting rent controls and things like that you know and like washington oregon california's got them it's like there's there's a lot of things that have been changing lately and it's it's kind of it's almost like hard to keep up with some of it there's also the law that they're trying to pass and you could probably tell us more about this of people uh even if you're leaving california you can be taxed and have to pay tax uh for 10 years after and i think it starts at like 100 percent, and then each year it goes down 10 percent. so on the 11th year you're actually out but like so even if you leave now you still got to pay californian taxes for like freaking 10 years <laughs> so um, so my my opinion on that first is i wouldn't pay it Taxation is theft, in my opinion. Like I, I look at that as complete theft, and don't think that it's needed, especially with how much money they print through inflation in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, um, what that applies to right now, at least my understanding of the bill, is that it's over people with over thirty million dollars in net worth. Um, and uh, in addition to that, um, I don't know how they would possibly be able to value it. Uh, They would have to do an audit of that person's assets uh, to be able to determine what that value is of every asset that occurs in that person's portfolio. Um, And what happens when 
the value goes down via a crash? Do they have to give that money back via a credit in that situation? Yeah. I have a feeling it's going to be extremely challenged and unconstitutional and not be able to be implemented in its entirety. They may, they be, they may be able to uh, pass it, but as soon as it's challenged in court, I think it'll be thrown out. So, but we'll see. I, I'm not at 30 million yet. <laughs> I plan on getting there, but we'll see, you know? <laughs> yeah. So what's the deal with all that too? I mean, you're in California. Um, are you, do you feel confident you want to stay there or are you looking at things and going, man, you know, shit's changing so quickly here. Like it's getting to a point where it's like making me feel uncomfortable. Like, where are you at with that? Well, it's not just the tax increases that, that, concern me it's uh also the the estate tax issues it's um it's the the fact that the state is completely broke like they tried to pretend like they're not but they're completely broke if you look at their pension systems and things like that they mm -hmm. were doing some accounting yeah. metrics and they were in the news about this about you know mistakes that were being made and um and at the end of the day what does that fall on? That falls on homeowners. That falls on the residents in that state, which what did, what did, what did Illinois do? They went and doubled property taxes, right? Yeah. So you think other states are not going to take that same thing? And in California, my property taxes go from, you know, 7,500 to 15 grand. You know, that's going to affect affordability. That's going to majorly oh, affect that. And so, you know, I'm looking at, should I sell my house? Should I move to a different state that has no state income taxes? I paid 40 grand last year in state income taxes to California, just from the entity structuring that I have and everything else here uh, with, with LLCs set up and everything in multiple markets. And multiple How many stuff. percent? Uh, I, it's 40 grand. I don't remember what the percentage oh, was. 40 grand. It includes, oh, okay. Yeah, it includes... Um, uh, like those $800 LLC fees. That was about oh, 10 okay. grand of it. Oh, and, for the and processing of your tax returns. and everything. Right. And yeah. that's after yeah. me buying a million dollars worth of property and doing a cost segregation on those to cut off another 300 grand of income, you know, Getting all your, well, like accelerated depreciation write-offs and everything like that. Right. With all of that there. too, it still cost me that. And, and so you look at that and I'm going, I could, that could pay for my housing completely in a different state all day long or my entire living expenses for the year, you know, or something. It's just, you look at that and you're like, yeah, you know, it, it, you got to get out and make the smart financial move. Um, I may still continue to keep my house here and just buy two houses and live in the other one and rent this one out. Um, but they're going to audit me in the long run and they're going to look at phone records. They're going to look at all of that kind of stuff and credit card purchases and everything else to see where I'm at uh, mm -hmm. consistently. Um, and so I literally really do have to move. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's, right. We live in a world where so many things are trackable. So right. on that, mate, like, you know, fast forward a little bit, what's the ultimate freedom lifestyle for you? You know, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? So my goal is to continue to implement and uh, completely outsource myself for my lending business and expand that. But at the same time, that will happen as I outsource myself from that business. Same thing with my single family home business, completely outsource that. And, uh, and, you know, really my end goal is to have zero emails in my inbox, you know, so, you know, instead of hundreds that I still am CC'd on, but yeah. you know, yeah. So, well, it's just a matter of stopping CCing me over a period of time and, mm. um, and empowering my team to handle issues as they come up you know, which, which is always a challenge because most issues are new or, you know, there's always something new that you find out about that you got to deal with um, yeah. some new problem. And so, um, you know, empowering them to have the confidence level to be able to be okay 
and knowing that I'll be fine with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that type of push um, so that I can outsource that and then also continue to build my cash flow. really because the whole idea is let's travel, let's enjoy my kids. Let's not, you know, let's not always be stressed about work and all that stuff. So, you know, and at the end of the day, um, I have that achieved for the most part. If I want to stop now, um, I, I, can take days off if I want to. Um, I've been, I just went to Yosemite with the kids and stuff like that. And my wife Beautiful. twice this last month and there was nobody there cause of COVID and everything was great. Um, but you know, just going and doing that type of stuff and spending time with family and realizing, Hey, what is important in life? Even though totally. in my twenties, I'm like, drive, drive, drive. Let's, let's yeah. make the money. Now I'm 42 now. And I'm like, no, let's, uh, let's relax now. Let's have some fun with the family and, and not, not uh you know deal with that kind of stress that's beautiful man and and i honestly think you know like america is has the most amazing um national parks it's like it's freaking awesome like the 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 most variety of landscape and and checking all of those out i mean i think that would be one of the most nourishing things to do i don't have kids yet but I I would totally look forward to having kids and taking them to all the national parks and touring all over America. Not only are you going to get to like enjoy all of the nature and the experiences and the adventures and jumping off rocks into water and the, you know, kayaking and whitewater rafting and all that kind of stuff. Your kids are going to learn an absolute ton by living that kind of lifestyle of being able to like travel and and everything like that too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, those are the memories that matter. I still remember my dad helping me learn how to carve my first knife out of wood, you know, that kind of stuff, getting up in the mornings, having coffee with, you know, sitting there when my dad's having coffee and stuff like that. And, you know, BSing with them in the morning when I'm a you know, teenager and stuff like that, you know, and th- those are the things that matter, you know, and, and those are the things that, you know, and, and also, like I mentioned, consistently going out and just trying to help as many people as you can. Um, but, you know, that can happen over time as well, you know? Yeah. So, and we're just about to wrap up here. I really, really appreciate your time, Matt. A um, couple of questions though. So if you were to dial the clock back and you were to go to bump into your 20 year old self, what would you be telling yourself? What's the biggest piece of advice you'd give you? <laughs> Have emotional control over your, <laughs> at that point. But in reality, don't sell any houses. Stop selling. Just keep all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can do yeah. it without that. You don't need to go and use that money. Like a lot of people start off and I did the same thing thinking I need the money from the flip to keep mm-hmm. sustaining, uh, not realizing like what you said earlier, don't necessarily quit your job first because you fall into that, that trap, right? Develop the cash flow first, become financially free first, then do a flip if you want and learn that method and all those strategies and things like that. But in my, my eyes, I wouldn't have sold a single house. If I had the resources that I had now, I would have focused on developing those resources to be able to hold everything instead, okay. you know, and, and holding them in States outside of California. So you yes, yes, up on yes, property tax. yes, yes. <laughs> okay. And I, I would have bought Tesla if they existed back then, you know, <laughs> sold now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> buy apple now yeah yeah um, exactly and so for our freedom hackers out there who are on their path to financial freedom and time freedom and location freedom what's the biggest nugget that you could share with them on their path to freedom what's the biggest piece of advice you could give them a lot of people have an idea of where they're going but they don't have an idea of where they're at right now and so they don't have a foundation and a base to start off with write down 
and this is the CPA in me talking, but it's the most important thing I can tell you. Write down every single expense you have. Get your personal budget and your business budget like on point where you're reviewing it every two weeks to where you're, uh, to every month to make sure you know exactly every expense that occurs there and know that is your goal to create financial freedom in your life is to cover that. And every time you get a piece of cash flow, every time you buy a new investment and get a piece of cash flow, allocate it to one of those expenses until you're free. It will happen faster than you've ever thought possible if you do that. And um, and I can tell you, dealing with people that I, 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 the biggest risk that I see in my lending business is people running out of money or not budgeting correctly. And it's because nobody teaches the financial aspect on personal budgeting and personal financial responsibility. And I know people that are flipping 10 houses a month that are having me there, bringing me their financials. And they're like, well, that house, that house, that house, um, that these ones were sold and you know, this loan is gone. What's what, what, these are, shouldn't be on my balance sheet. And, and that cost them tons of money on their taxes, tons by not having mm -hmm. that correct. And, um, yeah. and it's, it's a matter of keeping it in your head at all times. That's my goal. The more you think about it, the faster it will happen. That's a hundred percent truth. It's the, you know, the secret, right? It was totally true. And so if you outline that, put it on paper, take two hours, write down what you think your budget is, take an hour, write down what you think your budget is, and then go back for the six months and see what it really was guaranteed. You spend more than you think you do yeah. <laughs> on those items. And so, and then realize where you can cut out expenses, but that's really no fun. It's much better to go through and increase your income and finding new ways to make money than it is to cut expenses. You want to cut waste and stupid things that you do that we all do sometimes, but at the same time, focus on the income, not necessarily the expense. The $100 cable bill is not going to make you financially free by cutting that out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, it's like the foundation of wealth, understanding that. And, you know, I've recently have been teaching a family member um, in their twenties to learn how to budget because they just didn't, they just never got taught. They, they didn't right. know. And it's like, it's like a new thing. And then here's you, you've got your kids, you know, you get your kids put money in the money bank and then your five-year-old, he's learning what a, a budget is and he's learning about like income and expenses and you're just like totally setting them up for that success. So that's, that's awesome. My, my dad was a CPA and he taught me how to, uh, he, he's the one that made me do this. He gave me accounting homework when I got back from summer school uh, to, in, in Santa Barbara. <laughs> and I was like, you're killing me right now. But now I see why, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, I think it's great to leave it on that note, mate. If, if people want to get in touch with you, find out about what you're working on, any investment opportunities, anything like this, what's the best way to keep in contact with Matthew? You can email me at invest at ocgproperties.com uh, or you can go to our website, ocgproperties.com and, and take a look at our site and you know see what we have there. So. Awesome. And for all of you watching and listening right now, if you look at the show notes at the bottom, you are going to see links to all of this so you can reach out to Matt as well. So uh, any final words, mate? Just, just keep pushing, keep standing back up, enjoy the ride. It's part of that learning. Absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us today, Matt. Always a pleasure talking with you. I love your energy. I love everything that you're up to. And I'm looking forward to coming out there and having a beer with you soon too, mate, when everything, when the dust settles. Sounds great, man.
Awesome. Well, thanks again. And thanks for all of you listening right now. Um, this is Bryce Robertson tuning out. Until next week, live large and live free.